The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Thank you. What a, what a beautiful day it is. Amen. <clears throat> to God be the glory. Amen. That's what we, uh, we started talking about last week. I'm not, a, I'm not I always follow the tradition of, well, it's Mother's Day. We're going to preach a Mother's Day message. I'm not going to do that today. So and I don't always do that. You probably already know that, uh, even sometimes around Christmas and Thanksgiving. I want to finish up what we started next last week. And uh, I, I'm really excited about this because I, I learned so much studying this passage of Scripture, and I hope you have also. I want to also wish my wife a happy birthday today. Today's her birthday. Uh, she's not 19, but she's not 64. But she was born then, so you can figure out her age if you can take that clue. Uh, so uh, you can you can figure that out. I, I don't I don't mind anybody knowing my age, and if you're a lady, you shouldn't care either, as long as you're not pushing up daisies yet. You know, so if if you're still going, then uh, just be proud of who you are and what you've done. But Mother's Day and uh, and Denise's birthday all comes together today, and. So to do something special, I'm staying here, and she's going to her mom. So it's going to be a great day for both of us. Um, so um, y'all wish her a happy birthday, and uh, she's probably not listening. So uh, uh, anyway, last week we looked in Romans chapter 16, and we're going to be there again today if you want to turn over there, Romans chapter 16, and we're going all the way down to verse 21, and uh, I just want to do a real quick review of last week, and I'd encourage you, if you missed last week's message, to go and uh, to listen to it online, because it's a great message, and what Paul is doing uh, through the direction of the Holy Spirit, this is the close of his letter. I think one of the most important books in the Bible is the book of Romans, because it reveals who Jesus Christ is, and it reveals salvation to us, and he kind of brings it all to a close here uh, in this last few lines of Romans. And we're going to look this morning, and we're really going to look at the last four words is what we're going to end with. But this morning, as we think about this, and just as a, an area of, of quick review, uh, we started over in verse 21, and it says, Now to him who is able to establish you. And that's as far as we got last week, because we looked at two words, and I want to just remind you about those two words and what they mean. The first word was talking about him who is able, and that, that word he is able, it, he says, I'm the powerful God, and I'm going to give you stability today. So uh, in those two words, we found some, some great lessons and some great understanding when we go back to what the Greek words actually mean, and we talked about dynamis, and we talked about that word that we get our uh, word dynamite from, we get the word powerful from, so Paul is saying here, this is, this is a, a powerful God. He's a dynamite God. And then we looked at that next word he, he used, establish, which, which was sterics, which I talked about we get our word steroids from. And the definition of what a steroid is, it's, it's a maximum amount of strength available. That's why you see athletes that take steroids because they want to have the maximum amount of strength available, available to them. So Paul writes this, and he says, I'm talking about a, a powerful dynamite God who is able to give you a maximum amount of strength available to, to, to sustain you. So that's what we talked about last week. And 
Paul goes on, and remember, he's bringing this to a close. So he's been talking about Jesus Christ. He's been explaining to the Jews and to the Gentiles and saying, hey, this is who Christ is. This is who God is. This is what He's done to you. So now he says this dynamite, powerful God who's able to give you a max amount of strength, He's going to sustain you. And and He tells the people that. And then today, where we're going to start is this. He says, I am the eternal God, and I'll reveal the mystery of salvation to you. That's what Paul says next. And and, uh, the number two thing, or the second thing that God says about Himself, He says, I'm the eternal God, and I have a, a mystery of salvation to reveal to you. Now, Him who is able to establish you by the gospel, this is verse 25, and proclaim, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. Now, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about that mystery. God is, a, God is an eternal God, and He, uh, you and I are creatures of time. You agree with that? If you don't agree with that, if I'm still preaching at 2 o'clock, what are you going to be doing? Any of you that are left are, be, are, be, are be saying, man, we are way over time this morning. So we're creatures of time. God is not a, a creature of time. So when we start talking about uh, uh, what God is, He's not limited by time. And, and watch this. When we become a Christian, God takes us from time and places us in eternity. Now I want that to sink in for just a minute. God play, takes us from, from time and He places us in eternity. Now, we, we talked uh, Wednesday night in our study about God has placed eternity in our hearts. So, what that means is when you and I are thinking, we don't necessarily need to think in terms of time. We need to think in terms of eternity. Verse 26 says, it says, the eternal God is the one who revealed this mystery to us. So, I want us to think about God has taken us from the boundaries of time and we're thinking about eternity. I'm going to explain that a little bit more. I think that can be a little confusing, but he uses a word, mystery of salvation. Now, when you think about mystery, I want you right now to think about what comes to your mind when you think about mystery. Do you think about some Alfred Hitchcock movie or some uh, uh, Agatha Christie novel or some Sherlock Holmes novel? And, and in that, that terms of, of, of mystery, you think about... I remember growing up and watching movies, and they, they, they filmed movies then that made you think about who did these things. It's a mystery, and, and in that mystery, you say, well, it, it must be the butler, or it must be the, the son, or it must be the daughter. And they would build that movie around, and they would lead clues up to this, and you'd think, well, that's got to be the person. And, and no, it's not this. It's got to be this person. And, and people were so intrigued by that, they made a, they made a game called Clue. Y'all remember that? And in that game, you'd go and you'd take these clues, and you'd try to figure out this mystery. Well, when, when Paul writes this mystery, he's not talking about some, some plot that's twisted around that takes some FBI agent to figure it out. What the, the, the biblical word mystery here means something that has formerly been hidden. In the past it was hidden, but now it's been revealed to everyone. So when Paul writes that word mystery, God has revealed the mystery of salvation. He's saying something that has been hidden in the past 
has now made known to you. So, so don't think that God is saying there's a mystery here and you're going to have to take these clues and you're going to have to study and you're going to have to go through God's Word and you're going to have to, you're going to, have to figure out the mystery of salvation. God says, I've made these things known to you. Now this morning, if you're fixing to check out because you say, I know what salvation is. I want to ask you this question. I don't want you to answer me, but if I were to ask you this morning, what is salvation? I want you to think right now, what's your answer to that question? It may be something like this. Well, salvation is when you ask Jesus to come into your heart and you realize you're a sinner and you, you do the ABCs. You ask, you believe, and you commit. That's salvation. That's not what the mystery of, of salvation is. Now, that's, that's a way to Christ. Yeah, we, that's the way to God. We admit we're a sinner. We believe that Jesus died for our sins, and we confess our sins, and He saves us. That, that's how we receive Christ into our heart, and that's how we become a Christian. But that's not the mystery of salvation. And that's what Paul is explaining. If you would, and you follow along in your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn over to Colossians chapter 1. That's over towards... That's over towards Revelation. So it's a it's a first and second Corinthians, and then I think there's a Philippians and Ephesians, and then Colossians falls right in there. If you would turn over to Colossians, and here's another place where this so-called mystery is completely ex- explained. Now, this morning I'm going to use a translation called the message. And I, I normally use the NIV, but this morning just for, uh, for this one scripture, I want to use the translations called the message. And what it is, it's, it's actually just a, a version that, that uh, we can understand a lot better. And I have some of those Bibles that I give out a lot of times to younger people when they accept Christ is, it, is the message translation. And this is what it says. This mystery has been kept in, do- in the dark for a long time. But now it's out in the open. See, that's actually the definition of the mystery. Something that was hidden for a long time, but now it's out in the open. And God wants everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out. Regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing, the mystery in a nutshell is just this. Here it is. Christ in you. Now, could it be any simpler than that? The mystery is Christ in you, therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. The mystery that, Christ, that, that, that Paul is saying has been revealed, the thing that was hidden for so long and now it's being plain, made plain to you, the mystery is this, Christ in you. Well, you say, well, that's pretty simple. Well, let's go on and think about this just a little bit. And I'm not going to spend very much time, but there's, little, there's, there's literally two parts to this. The first in this mystery is, is God offers forgiveness to both Jews and Gentiles. Now, remember that uh, Abraham had a promise that came to him. And in this promise, God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And, and your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand on the sea. That's what God said to Abraham. And then he said... Not only your children, but there's going to be a great nation that comes from you that's going to be blessed because of you. Now what God was promising Abraham then was this, the Jews and the Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew, we're Gentiles, are going to be blessed because of your seed, okay, because of your line. Well, what happened was the Jews, they forgot about the second part of that promise. They said, okay, God... 
You, you've promised a covenant with Abraham. We're Jews. We have the Abrahamic covenant. And because of that, God, you're blessing us. And they just, they just took the last part of that and just scratched it out. Do we ever do that in our Bible? We take something we like, we underline it and highlight it, and we take something we don't like, and we go, eh, I'm just not going to worry about that part. Well, that's what the Jews did. They, they said, okay, we've forgotten about this. So for them, it was a mystery for 1,400 years that they had, let, they, had, they had become so selfish with their God, this Jehovah, that they, 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 that was only their God. If you weren't a Jew, you couldn't relate to God. So, so Jesus comes out later, and, and Paul also later, and he says, okay, here's a secret. Here's a mystery. God has revealed Himself not only to God of the Jews, but for anyone who will seek Him. You remember all the trouble Paul got in? I mean, he was in all kinds of trouble always because he would use a couple of words. He would use the resurrection and he would use Gentiles. And any time he used those two words, the Jews would just throw a fit. Boy, if, they, if, they said, if he said God is for the Gentiles, the Jews would they want to stone him. They did stone him. Throw him in prison, try to have him executed by the Romans. Because they had forgotten about that. So, so Paul is teaching here in Romans, and he says, hey, there's a mystery here. God is not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And then he talks about the second part of that, and this is what I want to spend a little time on this morning. Salvation is internal life. Listen, it's internal life. It's not external conduct. Now, if you don't get anything else this morning, get that right there. Salvation is internal life. What did we just read? Salvation, the mystery is what? Christ in us, internally. That's what salvation is. It's it's internal life. It's not external conduct. And and jot that down. And uh, look again in, in Colossians 1. Underline those words. If you're there in Colossians 1, Christ is in you. I want us to understand this morning, that's the mystery of salvation. The mystery of salvation is not praying the sinner's prayer and asking Christ to come in. That's that's the way of salvation, but that's not the mystery of salvation. The mystery of salvation is, is Christ living in us. And there's so many that are Christians who live their life trying to, 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 to think, if I, if I do good, if I'm living the good life, if, I'm, if I can do these things, if I follow these directions, if I work hard, then I'm living the Christian life. That's not the Christian life. That's what we call legalism. That's saying I, I need all these legal things. Salvation is Christ in us. It's, it's internal life. It's not, our, it's not our external qualities that we're leaving now. Now, those are going to be affected. Our external qualities will certainly be affected. But that's not what salvation is. The Bible says that the Christian's life is not us, is not us trying to live a life of certain style. It's Christ living inside of us. Now, that's the mystery. And Christ living in us is expressed in our actions. But that's not salvation. Our actions are not salvation. That's the secrets of the Christian life. So many people, they're, they're plugged into something called Christian religion. And because they're plugged into this Christian religion, they're, they're saying it's all about this external things I'm doing. It's, 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 a, it's a Christian religion. But folks, listen, if Christ is not living in you, you're not saved. You're, you're going through the motions. You're going through this external conduct 
But that's not salvation. That's not the mystery of salvation. The mystery of salvation is, is Jesus Christ is living within us. And that's why the Bible says we are born again. We're, we're, our old life has been died and buried with Christ and we're raised in a new life and we've been born again. And because of that, Christ is living in us. Let me explain it this way. There was a preacher who, who was a pastor in Boston for years and, and back years ago, 1939, the New York City World's Fair was being held there and, and this preacher's name was Dr. Gordon and he, he went to the World's Fair in New York City and he was walking across this pavilion and he says he looked across this, this wives paved pavilion and on the other side he saw an amazing sight. He said there was an oriental man. He assumed he was oriental because of this gaudy-colored uh, kimono he was, he was wearing and, and these, these coolie hats, you know, like orientals wear. He was wearing that. So he said he began to watch for a moment. And, and as he watched for a moment longer, he said, that man has got to be strong. He's got to be a strong man. He said, I can't believe his strength and his stamina because he was running a water pump. If y'all have ever seen those, those pumps where you pump water and, and, and it pumps water, he, he was running this water pump and, and he was going on and on and on and on and on. And, and the doctor said, I was just staring at him thinking, man, that guy's got some stamina. He, he just, he just, he's not slowing down. He, he's just pumping away and pumping away and pumping away. And, and he said, I've got I've to go where he's got to be the strongest man I've ever seen. So he, he makes his way over there and he's investigating it. And, and as he gets closer, he realizes something. This, this wasn't a man at all. It was a wooden dummy just dressed up to look like a man. And as he looked at that, he realized that his, his, his wooden arm was hinged at the elbow. And, and this, this person dressed up like this was just holding the pump. And, and then he realized it wasn't a pump at all. It was simply a, a faucet that had an outlet, and, and behind the display there was a water tower, and from this water tower there was water pressure that was pushing through what appeared to be a pump because of a, a force of gravity was out there, and, and suddenly he realized it wasn't a picture of a man pumping water, it was a picture of water pumping the man. So, so the, the gravity and the water flowing through the pump was simply working the man's hand up and down, up and down, up and down. And, and folks, when we understand in this moment, that's what Christianity is. Christianity is not the Christian life trying to pump away and trying to live this, this set of external things, trying to live these, these external things. It's, it's Christ living through us. He's He's pumping the man. He, he's the one moving us. He, he's the one that's, in, that's inside of us. And because of Christ in us, we're, we're flowing out. Listen to what the Bible says in John seven thirty eight. He says, He that believes in me, out of his inmost being, shall flow rivers of water. Do you see that picture now? He who, he who believes in me, out of his innermost being... What is the mystery of salvation? It's Christ living within us. And in our innermost being, Christ is flowing through us, living water. If we come to that point of our life and we're, we're pumping away and we say, this person is unlovable, but I'm going to love them if it kills me. What happens? After a while, we just give up. I can't do it. What are we doing? We're, we're the one pumping the well at that point. 
If somebody hurts us and we say, you know what, I just can't forgive them, what are we doing? We're pumping the well at that point. The only way we can do those things, the only way we can have forgiveness, the only way we can experience those things of loving others is letting Christ love them through us. See, it's Christ's love in us that makes us love others. It's Christ's love in us and Christ's forgiveness in us that helps us forgive others. So at that point, we don't have to say, I have to do all these things and, and it's so hard. I have to work so hard to love these unlovable people. I have to work so hard to forgive these people. We just need to surrender and say, okay, God, you're living in me and I want your living waters to Flow through me with forgiveness. I want your living waters to flow through me with your love. And Paul explaining that is the mystery of salvation. Isn't that so much more than saying we pray a prayer, we ask Christ into our life, we confess, we believe? That's not salvation. That's the way to salvation. Salvation, the mystery that Paul's talking about, is Christ living in us. Here's the last thing this morning. God says, I am the only wise God. And if you will help, or I will help you if you'll seek me. Now listen to what he says here. We're going we're gonna to move through this pretty quick. The third thing God says, number one, I am a powerful God. That's what he says, number one. I'm a, I'm a powerful God. I'm going to give you the maximum amount of strength and sustain you. Then number two, he says, I'm the eternal God, and I have a mystery of salvation for you. That's, that's Christ living in us. That's salvation, Christ living within us. And then he says, I'm the only wise God. Romans 16, 27, to the only wise God. Now, you might say, well, isn't he the only God? Well, you could say that. You could say, yeah, it, he's the only God, but, but there's more than one God, isn't there? Well, I may, you may, may have said, well, I don't know what you're talking about here. You know, throughout the centuries... Men and women have had a multitude of gods, hadn't they? I mean, just think about this. For, for all the, the gods, and I'm talking about a little g, not a big g, there's been a god for this, a god for that, and here a god, and there a god, and everywhere a god, god. I mean, there's, there's been gods for everything through, throughout time. And the fact is, the Old Testament, they were all those gods were called idols. And when we look at this, God was, was saying there's, there's those who worship idols. If you've got your Bibles this morning, turn over to Psalms chapter 135. And I'm not going to read that whole passage, but if you want to, it won't take me just a moment to read Psalms 135. There's just 21 verses there. But the psalmist is describing God, and he's describing idols. He's describing false gods that, that were during that time. And God is contrasting himself between these false gods and these real gods. Now, let me take you back. Remember who he's writing to. He's in Rome. He's writing to, to Romans. He's writing to us. He's writing to Gentiles. But he's there in Rome. And, and think about all the things that have taken place in Rome. So God's revealing himself. We're at the very end of, uh, the re- very end of, of Romans. And Paul is kind of summarizing all he has written about. And he says, here's the God we have. He's an all-powerful God. He's a dynamite God, able to give us the, the, the maximum amount of strength. He, he, he's living within us. He's all-powerful. And He is the only wise. He is the only true God. And when you read there in Psalms 135, He, he talks about these idols. He says, they have mouths, but they cannot speak. 
They have eyes, but they cannot see. And what's God saying? He's saying, I I can speak, I, I can hear, I can see. They have ears, these idols do, but they cannot hear. Nor is their breath... The word breath means spirit. Anytime you run across that in, in the Bible, that, that God breathes His breath and His spirit into us. There's no breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and also those who trust in them. So Paul's writing this letter at Rome. You remember the Roman culture? If you've studied any history, and, and I even remember this from back when I was in school, there was the, the pantheon there, and you know what pantheon means? It means all gods. And Rome, Rome was a place of the Pantheon, and there was gods like Zeus and Apollo and Mercury and Aphrodite, and we could go on and on and on. All of these gods were there. So these people are understanding, we're in Rome, we're the, we're the Pantheon, we have all gods here. And you know what? They welcomed all gods. And matter of fact, when Paul came in, and he says, let me tell you about this god that y'all don't have a shrine to. You remember what they did? They said, oh, great. We'll set you up a shrine right here between Mercury and Apollos, and you can put your God right here. And Paul said, wait, that's not going to work. Because in Rome, there was, there was seriously one-stop shopping there. If you, if you needed some, some rain, you went to the rain god. If you, if you needed something else, if you needed fertility, you went to the fertility God. If, if you wanted someone to, to help you grow your crops, you went to that God. You just, you just went from, from building to building to building. You just went to the mall, the, the God mall. And, and in the God mall, you just walked down through there and you selected this God. I need him and I need her and, and I need this God over here. And, and I'll put all these gods together. And, and Paul said, there's, there's one true God. And that's why we see in Psalms here, it says, they have mouths, they can't speak. They have eyes, they can't see. They have ears, they can't hear. There's no breath within them. There's no breath in their mouth. And those who make them and those who trust Him will be like them. See, God wants us to understand there's, there's, there's one God and, and we can't limit Him. We can't limit Him to, to what we've conjured up in our imagination. Now, here's what I want to close with, and I want you to listen real close because I may lose you because as I was studying this and putting this together, I really took me a while to, to understand how we have idols today. Now, we can say, oh, there's football, there's baseball, there's sports, there's fishing, there's hobbies. All of those can become idols when they become more important to us than our relationship with God. But let me, let me tell you how we make a false idol out of God. The one true God. What I want you to do, I want you to think about sometimes what we do to God. We, we try to create a God in our minds, in our imaginations, that is the God that we need. You hear what I'm saying? Go back to Romans. What did they do? They needed rain. So they created a rain god that they could go to when they needed rain. Do we do that with, with our God sometimes? We, we, we create God of our, of our own imagination, and we go to that God that we've created, and we say, okay, God, here's what you are to me, and here's what I want you to do for me. When we do those things, we've made God an idol, Because what I want us to understand this morning is an idol is something we've made with our thoughts or with our hands. 
And when we begin to limit our God to what we think about Him and what our hands can create, we've created a false God. Because we need to understand that, that God is far above our thoughts. God is far above what we can comprehend. Now let me say, let me bring all this together. What, what am I trying to say here? When we understand that God is bigger than we can imagine, that God is bigger than what we can conjure up in our minds, when we begin to understand that, then what can we do? We can surrender everything to Him. Because He's not just a God that does this, and a God that does this, and a God that does this. He is an all-powerful, all-knowing God. He, he, he's, he's not subject to anything, to anyone, to any power. He's not limited by space or by time. He's an eternal God, and, and He's more than we can ever imagine. So when we come before God and we begin to think about God and we say, God, I'm going to surrender my all to You. God, whatever my situation, wherever I'm at, wherever I am, whatever my needs are, whatever my thoughts are, God, I'm just surrendering to You. And and I realize, God, that, that You're bigger than me and You're bigger than my needs and You're bigger than my thoughts. You're bigger than, than when you're convenient for me. You're, you're bigger than all the things. I am the only wise God. And don't limit to me of who I am or what I can do. You know, when we begin to think about that, we begin to say, God, I want you to do this and I need you to do this. We're limiting God. You know, God's, God's beyond what we can even imagine. We may say, God, I, I want you to do this and I need this and... And God may say, man, I've got something so much greater than that for you. And we're limiting God to whatever our mind can imagine. Here's the key. The last four words of Romans is this. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul says all of these things. We have all of these things. We have a a God who sustains us with power. We have a God who lives in us, a God who helps us, a a God who is a a wise God. And, And we plug into all of those things. The channel to get there, Paul says, is through Jesus Christ. That's the channel that we receive God through. Outside of Glasgow, Scotland, there's a seafood restaurant, and it's an interesting story behind this seafood restaurant. Years ago, there were some Scottish fishermen. They came into this restaurant, and, and they began to brag about their catch. And you know how, you know how fishermen do when they're bragging about their catch. And, and they were sitting around talking, and, and one fisherman was talking, and he, he thrust out his arms and you know, said, mine was this big and, and, or this wide or whatever. And in doing that, he knocked over a big pitcher of tea. And, and this, this pot of tea, it, it broke and it fell up against the wall and it left a big stain on the wall. And he began to apologize to the, to the owner of that restaurant and, and he, he was saying, oh, I'm so sorry. And they were trying to clean it off and wipe it off. Well, you know, if you stain something with tea, it's a stain there. If, you, if we were to throw some, some tea on this wall and, and it was to soak in there, it's going to be there. And as he was apologizing, if they were all trying to, to help clean, it says there was an old man, a stranger in that restaurant. He walked over there and he, he backed off and he looked at the stain. And then he, he took out a drawing pencil and he began to sketch around this stain. 
And as he sketched around this stain, he, he drew a beautiful picture of a majestic stag. That's kind of like a, an antelope, I mean, kind of like an elk. And, and in this picture, he, he, uh, the, the, the stag had his horns down, and then he reached in his pocket, and he began to pull out some, some other kind of colored pencils, and he began to draw a background. And, and he drew this background, and he drew this stag, and, and he stepped back, and come to find out he was Sir Lance... Edwin Lancer, he's a, he's a, he was one of the greatest artists in England at the time. And, and he took that stain, and, and it's, today it's one of the restaurant's most prized possessions, this mural that was, that was painted, that was drawn out by this, by this great artist, this wildlife scene. And what he did, he took that stain and he transformed it into something beautiful. And folks, that's what Christ does for us. We receive all the riches of God the Father. We receive all the benefits. We receive all this power, all this, all this God can sustain us. This God who gives us the maximum power. Through Jesus Christ, the channel, He took what we were, an ugly stain, a, a blemish of blood, and, and He took that and he, he took the sin in our lives and He didn't just wash it away. He didn't just leave nothing there, a bare wall. He took what we were and He transformed us into something beautiful. Folks, when we become a Christian, we don't do away with our life. We don't change everything about us. God takes us just as we are. He takes us with our spots, with our blemishes, with our ugliness, and He transforms that into something beautiful for His purpose and for His benefit. And when we can understand that, yes, we're sinners, but the power of God transforms us into something that's beautiful. Let's bow our heads together this morning. And Father, I pray this morning, as we just consider your words and we consider what Paul is teaching us through the direction of your Spirit, Father, I pray that we'd know whatever situation we're in, as Christians, Christ in us, We have power that sustains us. We have a a dynamite God, an all-powerful God, who is able, who is able, who is able to give us the maximum amount of strength to sustain us. Father, I pray that we'd also realize that, that we have not only your power, but we have your wisdom, an an all-knowing God in Whatever the circumstances, Father, through Jesus Christ, we have a God and we have all of your wisdom at our disposal. And Father, I pray that we would know that we don't have an idol who is a God, but we have a God who is more than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever comprehend, more than we could ever know, really more than we can ever understand. And and God, you've taken what we are, and you've transformed us into something beautiful through Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray today that, that not words that I've stood up here and, and struggled through and, and butchered around, but Father, through your Spirit, we would know the truth of your Word. We would know who you are. We would know what salvation is, Christ in us. We would experience your power and the maximum amount of strength that sustains us. Father, we would experience your wisdom 
And Father, I pray through knowing that you are the only true God, we would simply say, God, I surrender. I just surrender to you. I I know that you're more than I can think. I know your ways are not my ways. Your ways are high above. And God, I just want to surrender to you each day. Lord, I pray that as we wake up each morning, we would just say, God, I'm surrendering you today. I want you to lead me. I want you to direct me. I want you to guide me. I want your power. I want your wisdom. And I don't want to limit you to my problems, but I I want to surrender to you, the the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing God. Father, this morning I pray that if there be any here who do not know you as a personal Savior, Father, we know the way to God, as Paul put it, is through Jesus Christ. Father, you told us through Christ that he is the way, he is the strength, he's the power, he's the knowledge, and through him we have that relationship with you. Father, I pray now that you go with us through this day. Again, I pray that you'd watch over those who will be traveling. I pray that you give them protection. I pray that you just, again, watch over those who are already traveling today and that you just uh, bring them back safely to their homes. And, Lord, again, now as we just recognize our mothers, we thank you for uh, our mother's love, for their wisdom. We thank you for their guidance. And, Lord, I pray that uh, you just suit up a special blessing today for our mothers. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.